0: Heavenly Father, we thank you indeed so much for your word, these words that were written many years ago, but are yet so true and so alive and so relevant and real to us today. Thank you, Lord God, that you have spoken to us, you revealed yourself to us through your word, through the word that became flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for him. And we pray this morning as we look at this little episode here in Acts 1 that You will speak to us, speak to us here today at Modern Road Church. Father, may we, as we've just sung, have open hearts, ready to receive the words you want to say to us. Prepare us. May we hear you and may, Lord, we respond in praise and worship and in obedience. We pray these things for your glory, for your kingdom. Oh man, the self-help industry—it's a multi-billion-dollar business, mainly in the Western world. It's a, a business, a process that where you become the best person you can be. It's about putting into place the right belief systems, the right processes, the techniques for you to get what you want. By overcoming your weaknesses and all your problems, you can buy DVDs, read books, go on residential courses, and all these things sell out because the idea of being happy and being successful in life is for many now the ultimate goal of life. The prevailing view of our culture today is that there is no God, people are suspicious of any claim to truth. The meaning and purpose of life is only decided by you. You decide what that is. And life is all about the individual. It's all about you. People are good and they're useful, but only when they help you get what you want. It's a popular way of thinking, kind of a postmodern way of thinking about life. Well, if these things are true, and this life is the only life that there is, and I have no external value or external purpose then how on earth, literally, do I use my short, meaningless life? Well, perhaps we could turn to self-help books. How about The Path, a new way to think about everything? Or The Chimp Paradox, the mind management program to help you achieve success, confidence, and happiness? Or maybe the famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Self-help promises success. But often it's full of contradictions. One book will say, be disciplined. One will say, relax. One will say, make goals. One will say, be spontaneous. One will say, save your money. The other, invest your money. One will say, pursue faith. One, be an atheist. So who do you believe? Which guru will you follow? It's thought that perhaps up to 80% of self-help customers are repeat customers. Those who have come back for more, no matter whether their process worked or not. And one American author said, the only way to get rich from a self-help book is to write one. Well, in our New Year sermon series, Dan was talking to us about being made in the image of God. And we understood that our culture has an identity crisis. It also has a meaning and purpose in life crisis. If we don't know who we are, and if we don't know why we exist, then how can we live? How can we make good, wise decisions? Well, for the Christian in Jesus Christ, there is identity and there is purpose. We are created by him and for him. And because of the cross in Christ, we are new people, a new creation in him, free from the consequences of sin, but with his help going on becoming free from the power of sin in our lives as we become more like Christ rather than becoming more like ourselves. And as Christians, we're part of a church. We join a new family. We're not individuals in space, but we live corporately as people of God. So what difference does that make for our Christian lives? What difference does that make for us as a church? As we live as God's people in relationship with him through Christ, how do we go about as a church fulfilling the purpose of the people of God. Last week, we, not last time, rather two weeks ago, we learned um, about the purpose of this new kingdom of Jesus, that task that Jesus gave to the church back then, and also the task he gives to us today, to be his people, to be witnesses to the world about Christ while we wait for his return. And so how do we do that? Well, I think the apostles a fantastic example in this passage as they obey jesus command to go and wait for the holy spirit what do we learn from these apostles well firstly they they seek god's guidance read those first few verses again with me then the apostles returned to jerusalem from the hill called mount of olives a sabbath day walk from the city So the apostles had received their final instruction from Jesus. He was taken into heaven. They went back to Jerusalem where they were staying. And incidentally, if you're interested in what a Sabbath day journey is all about, then basically that was probably about three quarters of a mile. And they reckon it was the distance, the furthest distance an Israelite had to travel from his tent to the tabernacle to worship back in the days of Moses Not really that important, but one of those rules that the Jewish leaders created so that people could avoid working too much on the Sabbath. Well, there they are, the apostles meeting in this upper room. And Luke lists the names of the apostles, Peter, John, right through to Judas, son of James, just like he had done in Luke chapter 3 when he lists the names of the apostles when Jesus first chose them three years previously. But as we see from this list, there is no Judas Iscariot. There are only 11 names, not 12. But do you notice there are women, probably those who've come to follow Jesus, like Mary Magdalene? But we can expect that possibly some of the apostles' wives were there with them too. Jesus' mother's there, and his half brothers, who may well have only become Christians after the resurrection. They're all joined together, all those who believe in Jesus and have seen his resurrection, meeting together in the room. And what are they doing? They are praying. They're seeking God together. Why do they pray? Jesus has given them their mission, their task. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. They've been told that they are to be witnesses for him in Jerusalem, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. But these apostles are those who have struggled to understand anything of Jesus' ministry while he was on earth. They didn't quite get it. They had recently just denied him and abandoned him. They fleed when Jesus was arrested. And now they are to be the leaders of this new kingdom to go and make disciples for Christ. These eleven must have thought this was an impossible task And so I guess it's no wonder that they prayed. What they didn't do was to say, okay, let's go, let's get on with the task. You go here, I'll go there. No, they obeyed and they went and prayed. They didn't sit down and write evangelistic strategies and action plans. Although those things have their place and their time, they prayed. They didn't go off in different directions to think, and contemplate personally and individually what this meant for them. No, they came together as God's people and prayed. And so their constant prayer together shows their dependence upon God, their dependence for him for everything. A few weeks ago, uh, we bought a new chest of drawers for Gethin, or son, and I took on the task of building it. I had a quick look at the instructions, but of course, like most men, didn't think that I needed them. One of the instructions in picture form was this, at the very beginning of the manual. Basically, it's saying, you know, don't do it by yourself. You need two people to build this. But I thought, you know, it's okay. I built the last one by myself. This one should be okay. I have Gethin, and he did help. we will be fine. But as I got halfway through, I realized that I needed to be in two places at the same time to kind of bring bits of pieces together. And I realized that I, I couldn't do it by myself. I needed a second person. I should have followed the guidance of the manual. Well, it's easy for us to get on doing stuff as Christians, as a church, without depending upon God, without seeking him and his guidance. It's easy for me as a pastor to do stuff. There's lots of stuff to do. But to do it without first seeking God in prayer. Not just asking for His help, but seeking His wisdom, His direction, knowing what is the right thing to do and knowing how to do it. If prayer is the place where we seek God's help, His wisdom, His guidance, then do we pray? How important is prayer to us as a church? If, as Christians and corporately as the church, our task, as we saw last time, is to go into all the world to proclaim Jesus Christ. If the energy to do that is from Him, if the direction to to go is from Him and the work comes from Him, then do we pray? How do we know whether we're doing the right thing? What does it say about our relationship with God if we don't pray and we're not trusting in him? Last time I mentioned that at MRC there are many things going on and there are many big decisions that we are making, particularly as we move forward with the Irving building, this plan to buy a a new premises but also soon going to be appointing new elders and new deacons for the church. Will we just get on with the task of just choosing whoever we want? Or will we stop? Will we pause? Will we pray? Will we seek God? What could we discover if we prayed? What could we save ourselves from? Mistakes making if we prayed. A prayerless church is a difficult thing. So let's be a people who pray together, seeking God's guidance. Because when we pray, we hear from God. And God speaks just as he did with these apostles. As they gathered together to pray, they came to understand that they needed to replace Judas. But I wonder, I wonder whether their understanding of this situation with him, what it all meant what they should do about it, only came to light because they had prayed, because they were opening up the Old Testament. Jesus had said, look, I fulfilled all the Old Testament. as so they're there studying it to see how Jesus indeed had filled all these wonderful things. And they're hearing from God. And so as they seek him and his guidance, they learn about his ways. And they trust in his ways. Verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide to those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. This character, Judas, we all know him. But can you imagine the shock? those apostles he was their friend what had he done he was one of the 12 one who'd been with them for three years walking around living and sleeping with them and hearing Jesus' teaching seeing his miracles but his final act was to betray jesus for 30 pieces of silver what were these apostles thinking were they angry with him Were they confused about why Jesus didn't know? Why had Jesus chosen him if Jesus did know? Which, of course, he did. Was there some greater purpose in all that was going on? Many questions, I'm sure, going through their minds. What we see in these verses is that as they've read their Bible, they discover that God knew about it. God had predicted it in the Old Testament. May his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. A verse taken from Psalm 69. A psalm where David, king of Israel, is in anguish regarding his enemies and he prays for justice against those who hate him. Judas fulfills this verse. Although he himself felt guilty about what he had done, he went away and he killed himself, coming to a rather gruesome end. The field where he died had been bought by money earned from his betrayal. And after his suicide, this field was abandoned and only used to bury the dead. What about this other verse? May another take his place of leadership. Another psalm, Psalm 109. David again pronouncing judgment upon his enemies. But these verses aren't just random verses taken out of context. He seem to fit a situation. Now, the whole psalm speaks about David and his enemies, enemies of God's anointed king. It speaks about events that took place on the cross, and then Judas, and he fulfills these promises. We can see that God is in control. He has it all in his plan. Peter tells us in Acts 3 and 4, that the enemies of Jesus, like Judas, the Jewish leaders, the Romans, they freely did to Jesus what God had planned and foreordained to happen. It's a great example of that relationship between God's sovereignty and human responsibility working together. And so from these verses, they came to understand God's control, but they also came to see God's purposes in it, in such an evil act they saw that God was to bring it for good because when Judas betrayed Jesus yes he was arrested and went to the cross but at the cross he died for the sins of the world <coughs> life is full of challenges it's full of difficulties and hard choices and sometimes to trust in God's control To trust that his control is good can be hard. It requires faith and patience. When we think about things that are going on in Modern Road at the moment, things always are happening. This church never stands still. And change can be good, change can be bad, and change can just be difficult. There are many people in in the church who, who are looking for jobs, there are some here who are looking for places to live. Some who are struggling with illness, struggling with relationships, struggling with finances. As a church, we've been through the long process of trying to acquire the Irving Building, and it's, it's been hard, and it's taken its toll. CCC has planted, and they've, they've gone, but there are gaps in ministries. I chuckled to myself the other day. Um, trying to make sure that I didn't use the betrayal and suicide of Judas and apply it too directly to CCC <laughs> and then them leaving, of course, it's not like that at all. We have sent them in with God's blessing, but of course, there are gaps. There are difficulties in the life of the church. And as we pray, as we seek God's guidance for what do we do, as we read his word to understand life and principles we see him at work god speaks he gives us knowledge we, we see his control we see that he has purposes and he's fulfilling those purposes and maybe just maybe the irving saga has happened the way it has happened so that god can get the maximum glory so that he can show it's not about us but it's about him providing when all seemed lost As we as a church face the future, as we seek to appoint new elders and new deacons, as we try and encourage people to join ministries and get involved in serving the church, as we think about what happens with buildings, let's, through prayerful dependence upon God, not ourselves, trust in him, trust in his ways, trust in his control, in his ultimate purpose and plan that has no dead ends and has no contradictions. So that when we have done that, we will know the best place, the best way of making good and wise decisions that bring God glory. One of the verses Peter quotes in his little speech, verse 20 May another take his place of leadership, speaking about Judas. Then he says, therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of those must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Now these apostles can see that they are to fulfill scripture as they obey God's command to replace Judas. They were called to replace an apostle, one that Jesus had chosen, an apostle, a unique role with unique qualifications, to be a leader of the very beginning of the church, given great power and authority, chosen by Jesus. As Paul tells us later, they were to be the foundation of the church, And so to rebuild that leadership, that foundation, ready for when the Holy Spirit would come, the person they chose had to be be someone who would have been a follower of Jesus right from the beginning. Someone who had been with him and seen his ministry, heard his teaching, who had been there at his death, who'd seen his resurrection, who'd witnessed his ascension. They had to be a witness of it all. These 12 were those first-hand witnesses of Jesus Christ, chosen to be leaders, 12 of them representing the people of God, the new kingdom of Jesus, just like the 12 tribes of Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament. There they are, but how do they go about making the choice? There were 120 of them in the room. They whittled it down to two. They chose two men, Joseph and Matthias. Perhaps these two men showed particular zeal and keenness for ministry. Maybe they were gifted in certain areas of the church. Maybe maybe they had good character or a deep knowledge and understanding of spiritual things. These men could well have been chosen for any of these reasons or none of those reasons. But how are they to make the final decision? Which would be the 12th apostle? Well, that final decision was left to Jesus. Do you see that in verse 24? They prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas has left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. They prayed again. They sought God. They trusted in his ways, and in obedience, they followed his wisdom. They followed his wisdom rather than their their own wisdom, rather than any other worldly wisdom, because they knew that Jesus, Jesus was the only one who knew the hearts Of these men. He was the one who chose the 12th. As he had chosen the other 11. Three years before. And who do we get? We get Matthias. But how do we know it's Matthias that Jesus chose? Well, they cast lots. They roll the dice. In a few weeks, we are going to be appointing new elders. And new deacons. And if we find ourselves in a position where we have two good people for one role, maybe we should throw a dice. Well, you laugh, <laughs> it is a weird way of making decisions, and we wouldn't recommend doing that in May. But for the apostles in that day, in that culture, this was common. For the apostles, this method of decision-making actually shows their dependence upon God. They wanted him, they wanted Jesus to be the one to make the decision, and so they left it in his hands. He has the power to influence the lot, and so Jesus chose. Of course, some people cast lots and throw the dice today, and they do it just trusting in fate. What will be, will be. I think these guys did it in faith. But note that this is the last time that they used this technique of decision-making. The Holy Spirit was about to come, and, and he would give them clear wisdom and guidance, as you read the rest of acts and the future decisions that they made the lord gave them clear direction and he does that for us too there are many who may make decisions without any consultation with anybody but as a church we are called to be prayerful to make good wise choices as you read god's word as we share together God has given all of us the Holy Spirit and we can share wisdom. And we come and we make decisions and we trust the Lord to help us to do that. Alison and I met and worked and married in London and while we were there thinking about our future, there came a point where we had to make a decision, a decision between two options, both which were good Should we stay in London and continue working there? Or should we move for me to go to Barber College? Both were good decisions, and there were good reasons to choose either one of them. Well, we made a decision to leave. And I'm sure God would have blessed the decision to stay if we had. But God had given us the choice. And so prayerfully, we tried to depend upon him. As we read God's word, as we talked, we learned more about God and his purposes, trying to understand his will and, and what that meant for us. How do we fit into God's purposes? Through conversations with church leaders, with colleagues, with friends, we made a choice best on what we thought was, was good, good for us, good for others, good for God's glory. Was it a right decision? Well, I, th- I think it was. I think God confirmed that decision in a number of ways after we had made it. But it was a hard decision to make. And we have hard decisions to make as Christians. As a church, there are hard decisions. Sometimes there are good choices that we have to discern between. But we do not live independently of others. We don't live our lives in isolation. The church is not individuals. It's a corporate body together. Together as we together fulfill God's plans and his purposes. We're called to take part in God's plan, to bear witness to Jesus to the end of the earth. And of course, that will look different for each of us as we are part of that church. So how will we make decisions? How will the church approach going about fulfilling this task? Well, let's flee from any sense of self-help. Let's pray. Let's be dependent upon him, seeking him and his guidance and his wisdom. And as we hear from him through his words and by his spirit, we can wisely make decisions. We can together go, fulfill the purpose to bear witness to him in Oxford and then around the world. Let's pray. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the church. Thank you for the people of God, people who you have called out of darkness, people who you have rescued. Through Jesus Christ people who are new creation in him joined together our brothers and sisters in Christ thank you that we take on that task of proclaiming Christ of being the church in the 21st century and that's a big task to fulfill and we are weak and we are sinful and we don't know where to start and we don't know what the best thing is to do but we thank you, we thank you that you speak and you lead and you guide. Thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit and your word. And Lord, we pray as we as we fulfill this task as a Modern Road Church, generally, but also as we make decisions in the weeks to come, that you will lead us. Help us to pray help us to trust you and give us that confidence knowing that you're with us that you will guide us you will help us make good choices that will bring glory to you that will further the gospel in this place and around the world for your glory and until you return Lord Jesus. Amen.